Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. everyone. Welcome to the Peds Doc Talk podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mona, where each week I hope to educate and inspire you in your journey through parenthood with information on your most common concerns as a parent and interviews with fellow parents and experts in the field. My hope is you leave each week feeling more educated, confident, and empowered in the decisions you make for your child. Welcome to this episode. This is the last of four episodes in my sleep series. And in episodes 17, 18, and 19, you heard me talk about different methods of sleep training. You heard me talk to a sleep consultant about sleep. And this episode is very special to me because I welcome six of my followers from my Instagram account at PedsDocTalk. Six mothers who chose different methods of sleep training their child. And the reason I created this episode was because I wanted people to hear from mothers on how they approach sleep and how even though it was different, even though they chose methods that maybe you agree with or you, you know, you also did as well, that they are loving mothers who are raising amazing children. And that is the purpose of all of my sleep episodes, right? So it's a no judgment zone. There is a lot of back and forth with sleep training. Well, this is damaging. You're going to do this bad. And I want to be perfectly blunt. There is no harm that you're going to be doing with your child with whatever method you choose. So in the end, as you're going to see, it's what makes the mother most comfortable, what makes obviously any partner of the mother most com- more comfortable. So it's really, really important that you listen to what these women have to say and welcome it, right? So if as you're listening, if you hear a method that you're like, wow, I, w- I would never do that, I really want you to hear the perspectives that they give. Just because sometimes you may think you want to do one method and your child's temperament may dictate another method. Or you may do one method and realize that it's not working and you might have to redirect and use another method. So it's really important to hear the different perspectives and how, like I said, all of these women are amazing mothers. All of these women are raising thriving children. So it's really important you keep that open mind when you're listening to this. So I have six different moms. The first mom talks about a cry it out method, which involves a full cry it out method, which uh, is basically when you go in. Give the give them a kiss goodnight, do the bedtime routine, kiss, 
shut the door and don't come back in the morning. And again, I need you to keep an open mind because you should listen to our, our conversation. The next mom, we talk about a Ferber method, which is a graduated extinction method of crying. The third mom, we talk about how she did a cry method and later had to switch to a more gradual weaning method. The next mom, we talk about a gradual method and switch to a method that involved more crying um, just because of changes in the baby's um, age and what was working better for the baby. And then I go to a mother who co-slept with her child until the child was about a little over two and then had to transition to that child to a bed. And the last one is a mother who chose a more gradual weaning method that she kind of came up with looking at different things. So as you listen, the rules are, like I said in the other podcast episodes for sleep, keep an open mind. Remember that I really want you to hear all the methods because you may find that one method you never even thought of or never even thought would be appropriate would be something that works for you. And you're going to hear me talk to these mothers very openly. It's almost like being on a mommy group where you can kind of listen to what people are saying, but I'm kind of there asking the questions and seeing, you know, does this make sense? And I approve of all of these methods. And of course, there are probably way more methods um, than what I'm portraying on this episode. But this is just to kind of give a overview of six mothers and how they approached it. So if you hear a method that you did that wasn't on there, um, or if you are curious about another method, obviously you can um, research that and that may be something that works for you. But I wanted to encompass the variety of different methods that I speak about in the other podcast episodes as well. But know that whatever method you choose, you have to choose what's best for you, your child, and anyone else that is a caretaker in the family. So sit back and listen. The episode is a little bit on the longer side than I do for my episodes because I do welcome six mothers, but I promise you'll get something out of it. So stay tuned. We'll welcome the first mom. So the first mom I have is Lauren, and she has a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and we are going to be talking about the method she chose. I spoke about this method in the other podcast episode um, about sleep training, and it's a method that basically requires crying, and we're going to discuss what she did, and it's also the method I actually did as well. So Lauren, welcome to the episode. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I'm so excited we're doing this. Um, so first of all, how old, I know you have two sons, right? Um, how old were your sons? I know you said it was like different ages, but when you decided to sleep train them, how old were they? The oldest was six months and the youngest was four months. Okay. And what method, you chose the same method for both of them, right? Correct. So let's talk about your older son who was trained at six months, right? Mm -hmm. So describe how the method went for you. So... It's basically you start their bedtime routine, um, give them a kiss, tell them good night, put them in the crib and shut the light on and walk out. Oh my gosh. How could you say that? Okay. Look, I I'm happy you're on because this is probably of all the sleep training methods. It's the most controversial one. It is. Okay. And we'll Definitely. talk about that. It is also the method we did for Ryan. And I speak about that. So if any of you are listening that have not talked or have, sorry, I have not listened to my other episode where I talk about all the different options, I speak about how we sleep trained Ryan. Um, what I want to talk about is how it went, like meaning obviously that to people listening who have not had children or who are against cry methods, they must be like, oh my gosh, who are these awful mothers? I know we're not. Okay. Um, <laughs> so how did it kind of go? Let's talk about your six month old, meaning night by night, if you can remember, I know it's been a, a few years. Oh, but, I can remember. Okay. So let's see, let's <laughs> remember, like, how many, if you can remember how many minutes he cried for, or, you know, when night by night, if you can remember, it's okay if you can't. <laughs> oh, I absolutely can. Okay. With our first, when we started training him at six months, um, the first night was 16 minutes of crying, which we had ex expected. Um, we knew it was going to be a while. 
we were told that it would be cut in half the next night. And it basically went a minute every day, a minute less of crying. So it went from like an hour to like the next night was 59 minutes and the next night was 58. We were seeing progress, but it took a while for him to kind of learn how to self-soothe. How many nights do you think it took? Probably a week before we really saw, you know, it was maybe five minutes and he was out. So after that week, did he start, did you see him sleeping through the night or did you, was it? Yes. Okay. As soon as he cried, the, like initially when we laid him down, he would be out for the night, which was about 12 hours. I see. So after the initial hour, 59 minutes, the rest of the night was okay. Yes. I see. That's how it went for us too. And I'll, I, I, again, I, mine was just so, you know, since we, you didn't listen to that episode yet um, for, for me, it was actually for our first night, it was weird. It was 20 minutes. Our next night was 10 minutes at the beginning of the night. And then the third night, weird 40 minutes at four in the morning, which was super bizarre. So I thought that it wouldn't stick for him. I actually was like, Oh, this may not be his method. This may not work for him. Um, and we'll talk about that. But like, I was like, Oh, maybe he's not a cry it out type baby. Um, and so then I ended up seeing the fourth night and the fourth night, literally you're like standing there and it's like five, like literally less than five minutes. And he was, he was down and I was like, what? And then it lasted basically for, for a while now. Um, but why did you decide this was the method you guys wanted? So we had tried it all started when he was about five months. He was a great sleeper up until that point. And then all of a sudden he was woke and it was no napping. It was nearly impossible to get him down. He was fussy all day long because he was just exhausted. We decided to try the Ferber method just based off of Google searching. And just like you had said with Ryan, it, you may have thought it wasn't the method. Ferber was definitely not the method for us. Um, it actually seemed to upset him even more whenever we went in there and walked away. So it was almost every time we were kind of traumatizing everybody by walking in there. It was hard on me. He wanted me. You could actually see it. And then it was harder on him when we left. So we knew that was out. Um, the rocking him all night wasn't going to work. The sleeping with him in our room was definitely not going to work because he just wanted to play. Um, so it was kind of the last method that we tried and was the method you found you said you just searched online right no actually we I had explained to my sister that he wasn't napping and he was having issues sleeping and she knew somebody who had done sleep consulting which is something we had never heard of we were first-time parents um and she asked if she could connect us and she kind of walked us through she no longer did it professionally she offered her services for free but it was more of a via the phone kind of walk through us the process. And she just explained, listen, you got to give him his bedtime routine, give him a kiss, put him down, walk away and he'll be fine. Yeah. You know, you have to and it, go ahead. What, when, when he was regret, like at that time, was he feeding during the night when you decided to do this method? Yes. And he would wake up right. around three thirty four, So it was kind of hard for me because it was that hour of, okay, well now do I just go back to bed? Do I start my day? I kind of can't go back to sleep now. So he was having difficulty falling asleep. He would fall asleep, wake up in the middle of the night and feed as well and feed himself to sleep. Mm. So when you did the method, obviously you're cut, you cut out the feed. Correct. Completely. Right. Correct. Right. And he was six right. months at that point. So he was on solids. He was getting food throughout the yeah. day. And this is a method, right? Like I'm happy we're talking about this because like I said at the beginning, um, this is a method that 
when where I used to work as a pediatrician, it was very popular. This give them a kiss goodnight. And for all of you listening, I know this is the first conversation with a mother. Like I have five more mothers on this episode. So you're like, what is this what this episode's gonna be about? Um, it is just one of the episodes. And it's actually the reason I put you first is that it's the first method I speak about in my other episode, which is why I'm talking about it first on here. It is it is actually, like you said perfectly, some babies need this method. So for us, I actually, we sleep train Ryan pretty early. I mentioned it, in, I mentioned it later in this episode as well, but we sleep trained him at two months. Um, yes, because he was stretching nine, eight to nine hours already. So I would probably have not done it that early had he been feeding four, three, three, four times in the night, but he was already stretching nine hours. So I... I talked to my husband. I'm like, why don't we try doing 11? Right. Right. Why not? So that's why we chose the method. And it was something that worked for us and it worked amazingly. And not every, it's not going to work for every baby at four months. He started to regress because he was flipping himself over onto his belly and freaking out. So we actually tried doing Ferber at four months and it didn't, like you said, it didn't work for him. Right. He was like, mom. And he actually would just get more crying yes, in the room. That's exactly what happened. It would just almost happen? piss him off even more. It was yeah. just, it was upsetting for everybody all over again. So I actually left the room because I'm like, like you, like I left the room because I'm like, and then he stopped crying. It's insane how some kids just don't, can't do the method that maybe you read online or that some other method that a family chose. So that is why I'm putting this on here, this, what this conversation, because like you said, it, it may just not be the method that you may think you're going to do, but it may just work for your baby. And I also think timing has a lot to do with it. So when we sleep trained our youngest at four months, it actually went a lot better. I think he cried maybe one night. And I don't know if it's just because we were more confident in what we were doing because we had done it before. But at six months, I feel like our son was just so much more aware and he had more of a voice and he could kind of understand the situation more if that makes any sense. Um, of course it does. So I think it was actually harder for us. Had I known about sleep training, I would have done it sooner with our first as opposed and to waiting six think, months. Yeah. And you're right because they, they, some, you know, se- separation anxiety develops around like maybe nine months, but ba- some babies have it as early as four months. And I completely agree with you that the, that the, the voice is louder and also their awareness of the, of the parent in the room. And Ferber works so well for so many families, like you said, but the anger that he had with me being there, yes, <laughs> like, like almost like me being there, he, he would calm down. But then the moment I stepped back, it would be like, mommy, wait. And then, and, but then I was like, let me, let me experiment. So I actually just trial and error. And I stepped outside. I slept on the couch because I, I share a room with Ryan because of COVID long story. But I, um, I went outside, my husband's in a separate room right now. And I went outside and in one minute, whoop, down. And it's just, it's, it's interesting conversation to, for people listening to understand that that can be how it goes. And you actually consulted someone who does sleep consulting for a living, right? I mentioned this method. Yes. That was what you just suggested and it worked for us. It doesn't mean that it's going to work for everybody, but that's just what worked for our kid. And I think, and I speak about this with a, on the other, another episode with the sleep consultant, we talk about the different methods and how there's so much you know, well, to get to this, like judgment or like, oh, how could you? Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a pediatrician, it's exhausting because I'm like, guys, like, I'm not telling you to do anything that's harmful. And I wouldn't. I, I obviously did this for my child. And this child, if you follow me on Instagram, is like the most happiest. Oh, no. He, like, it's very <laughs> obvious that you have. It's obvious. The, like, and, and I will say, too, our son 
before we decided to sleep train, he, he, again, like I said, he slept great. And then all of a sudden he was not sleeping great and he was miserable and fussy and nothing made him happy. Holding him and walking didn't make him happy. He didn't want to be rocked. And I think he was just overstimulated and sleep training out of sleep training, training, we got the happiest, most well-adjusted, well-rested. He doesn't have tantrums. He was just sleep. I had no idea, but sleep really does wonders for kids and their development. Yes. And it really changed things for us. So in, I had the opposite of ex- experience of it didn't traumatize my kid. It didn't change things for us. It actually made things better for all of us, especially him. And that is, you know, I, I get a lot of stuff on my, my Instagram. My Instagram is where I'm getting most of the you know, like judgment calls. Right. Like, oh, but why would you support this? In my office, everyone knows me and trusts me. And so they know when I give them a method and I don't, I don't always give this method. I give them three options always. Mm-hmm. And you, you'll hear it on the other episode, um, meaning depending on the age. Um, but they know me and they know that I would never let them. And some people on social media don't really know me that well. Most of my followers trust me, <laughs> but I would never, ever tell them to do something that I did not support. Of course. And you are right that it is, it goes down to, and I know we're kind of going on tangents because <laughs> I love this conversation. This is an important conversation with a fellow mom is that. As a pediatrician, when I have children, I really recommend sleep training by one, by one latest, because when you get into those toddler years, sleep and a routine are vital. And if your child's not sleeping through the night by one and you're approaching, it's not terrible twos, by the way, it's the terrible ones. Like <laughs> You are getting into this age where if you don't have a routine of, of sleep at night and then doing naps in the day, feeding in the day, your child is going to have way more breakdowns. You're going to be a mess and you're not going to enjoy the toddler years. Can I be honest? I have friends who sleep, all my friends who sleep train actually are really, obviously no one loves toddlers having tantrums, but they're enjoying the toddler years because their child has a rhythm. Yes. Like you're going to, you're going to roll with the punches more because you know that your child is not overtired. Is it sleep or is it hunger? Your child's not sleepy because they have a rhythm. Like it's, it's probably other things. They're and probably just in a mood. We are <laughs> through sleep training. We learned kids have cues very early on kids have cues of our oldest or our oldest son would rub his face and suck his thumb and our sleep trainer kind of taught us like those are there's early cues and then there's late cues so now we kind of are able to tell okay is his behavior because he's tired and we're missing something and we would sit back and watch and we'd say oh yep there goes the thumb in his mouth he's tired let's try and get him down for a nap so we also kind of learned to read him a little bit better too to help him help us so that was really and valuable. That is, the, that is it. I mean, I spoke about this also later in this episode, but it's, you're right that it is the sleep training with the combination of the cues is so vital because I get it that, you know, the people who are naysayers for sleep training, they'll be like, well, then why wouldn't you listen to their cues for sleep at night? But how I kind of view it is that nighttime is a regenerative, regenerative thing, right? You're, you're learning how to sleep. It's a very important thing. And daytime, when you're starting to read those cues, you're teaching them an invi- a vital skill. This is not like a bad thing. This is a thing to be celebrated. And as a mother also who saw my child from a young age um, do this, and again, I, it's because I worked at a practice that preached two-month sleep training, okay? I wouldn't have probably thought about this if I had, hadn't worked there. But everyone sleep trained at two months at this practice. And it was eye-opening to me because I'm like, how is that? That's too young. But then when I saw, when I saw Ryan stretching the feeds and he, he was able, and it's, it's fascinating to see the capability. Right. To see the capability of them self-settle. It, that's, I think, the goal that we're trying to get. Right. And they almost become a little bit more independent 
in a good way. Whereas a mother, you yes. want to see your children like really grow and hit these milestones and become independent. And it's something that you can help them do on their own, which I think helps with growth. And this needs to be said because I think people who are against crime methods, especially this method, I have a feeling, but is your son connected to you? Does he love you? Does he show attachment? He is the sweetest, kindest, most gentle boy in the world. And I, I can't express, I actually think that it's helped our bond because I, like your friends have said, I'm enjoying this time more. And I think I, he feeds off of me being more relaxed and he's also more relaxed because he's getting more sleep. So it's really made us, I think it's bonded us. We're spending less time in tantrums. We're spending less time trying to figure out why he's exhausted or getting him to sleep. And I think it's really helped us. Yeah. Like I, I, you're like my new friend. Okay. Because I'm just like, look, I, I, obviously I know you did the same method I am, but I did, but it's more than that. It's more the, the fact that I, I think you're my friend is that the way you just speak about this and the positivity you have. And it's that message of doing something like this is a beneficial thing. And I, I really appreciate that. Now, did you obviously struggle with the decision to do it or was it hard for you to hear him cry? Cause I think obviously people need to hear that. Oh man. I don't know if I can be this clear about it, but there was a lot of like wine drinking and <laughs> tissues being used. And my poor husband worked at the time he was working really long hours and he would come home and just say, I just want to come home and not have my wife be crying and my son crying. Of course it was difficult. Of course I want to run in there and comfort him, but I'm not doing him any good by doing that. And I'm not doing myself any good by doing that. And it also took, there were nights where my husband would say, I'm going to go up there and get him. And I would say, no, 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 no. I've been, it's been three days of me having to sit downstairs and hear it and listen and go through it, we can do this. And then there were nights where I would say, I'm going to go get him. And my husband say, no, no, no. So there was some struggles there of me just wanting like to give in. But when we started to see that he was doing so much better during the daytime, I think that's when I was saying, okay, there's like, there's, it's a reward system. We're getting rewarded for this. So I'm going to go through the tears and I'm going to struggle with this, but tomorrow's going to be a really good day because he's going to have slept and I'm going to have slept and my husband's going to have slept and it's just going to be a better household for all of us. But those first, those first few nights was, this is never going to end. This is, it's going to be like this till he goes to college. Oh yeah. No. And I mean that, that pit in my stomach, cause I, it's not the pit in the stomach that I knew that I thought that something was, that I was damaging him at all. It was this pit that I'm like, Oh man, baby, I love you. You can yes. do this. I'm so sorry. Like, I know you can do it. That's what it was, right? Yeah, like, it it's, wasn't, a, it's the yeah. just give in. Just give yes. in. That's all you have to do. We, I know we, you're tired. I like you're the biggest cheerleader and you want them to succeed. Yeah. And it's like this weird, like, I don't want to say it's like a sporting event, but you're like that mom who's like, We can get you there. You can do it. And it's just a strange, it wasn't, you know your baby's cries. You know, as a mother, you really start to to get to know what your baby needs. And at that time, it wasn't a cry of, I need my mom. It was, he's exhausted and he has to burn this off in order to sleep. And so I had to keep reminding myself, you kind of have to find a mantra of this is just a phase. This yeah. is just a phase and get through it. Oh yeah. Ours was like, you can do this. And we always say, we, our little motto was father sleep always wins. Like whenever <laughs> we were worried about him, like, oh, he's overtired. We're like, father sleep always wins. He's going to do it. He's yes. going to do it, meaning I'm talking even for like naps and stuff. Like we don't play, you, you know, probably my personality now, we don't play a lot of games in this house. We literally, <laughs> we read our son. We don't fuss. We're not a very high fuss couple. My husband and I are very easy breezy and we don't That's like, 
yeah. our household. Like we don't overthink. We obviously are careful and we love our son and we're like, okay, is this good? Are we comfortable? We, but we just have insight in checking in with ourselves. And that happened too, right? Like my husband, I actually had to do the sleep training on nights that my husband was working in the evenings. And um, I know because, that that's hard because my husband was working. Yeah. And I, but it was, he was like, I don't know if I can handle it. I'm like, you think I can handle it? So I was like, okay, I, I trust my son. I have faith in him. And I think I've always been pro sleep training, you know, it, it's what it is. And because of where I worked and my, my experience as a pediatrician, after we had Ryan with the strokes and seizures, I wasn't sure if this was going to be the method we chose. Um, you know, my husband's like, do you think we'll do it? I'm like, I don't know. We have to see how things go. Um, and then when I just saw how, and this is a really sweet, when I saw how resilient he was with the stroke and seizures and how he went through, I mean, lack of a better, he went through shit. Okay. Right. And he got stuck, and so did you. He got stuck like thousands of times, like not thousands, but hundreds of times with needles and EEGs. And when, so when I get sad that he cried when he's trying to go to sleep, I, I wasn't sad because I'm like, no, he's a resilient little guy. Like he, this is something I'm, I'm helping him do. And he's going to get through this and he's a warrior. And oh my God, like, like you said, you see him, he's just, this kid is like so happy because he sleeps. Mommy's happy because mommy's sleeping. Daddy's happy because he's sleeping. Right. And I really think people need to remember the mental health component of sleep training. And I think, you know, my biggest, and I'm, I'm speaking openly with you now. I know this topic is, we're talking for a long time, but I like, I like this. The problem is, is that when I see families come into my office and they are so exhausted with their child not sleeping, and then they tell me, but I don't want to sleep train. And then I tell them, I'm like, that's fine. But what, what is your solution? Because right. I don't mind that you don't want to sleep train, but then we can't keep complaining about it because there are solutions, right? right? Like, and that's my thing is that, you know, you change nothing and nothing changes. And there's a solution for every baby, you know, it's not a one size fits all. Like every kid is different. Every kid is going to respond different. You as a mother, sometimes it takes figuring out what's going to work and what, what's not going to work. And we went through trial and error and what worked for us may not work for others. But I think the biggest thing is there are gentler methods and options. And I don't want to say it's kind of hard saying gentler because I feel like that means that my method was not gentle. Right. Um, and our method did come from a place of love. Um, but I think people real, like don't realize there's so many options when it comes to sleep training. Sleep training isn't black and white and just cry or no cry. There's ways to kind of cater it to your child and their personality and what you are comfortable with. Did you tell anyone the method you did? No. No. Okay. I was going to ask. Like, if, yeah. I think part of it was we were so tired and we were so just at the end of our rope and hoping that it would work that I didn't need to hear negativity. And I knew our baby and I knew us and I knew that we were seeing it work when we did have family come over and, you know, it was bedtime for him. I think that was when we would like my, the grandparents may not have been very comfortable with hearing their grandchild crying, but we, we explained it. And this was the choice that we were going to make for our family. And it was the first time that I think we had to stand up and say, this is what we're doing for us and what we're doing for our child. And if you have a problem with it, like, that's unfortunate for you, but this is what we're doing for us. Yeah, no, it's, it's so far it hasn't had to happen because we haven't had anyone in the home um, for us, but yeah, because it happened obviously after, you know, during COVID. Um, But you're right. Like, I think um, people have a lot of comments and I know when I, 
I, when I share these episodes and I talk about this method, even though, like you said, it's not the only method, like I'm not telling everyone to do this with their child for every child, but even though I say it, I know it's going to be, some people are just not going to like, like it. And it's, it's hard for me. It's hard for me as a pediatrician, it's hard for me as a pediatrician because this is where the judgment is. It's like, dude, what does it matter to you? What someone else is doing with their kid when their kid is an awesome kid? Like, you're, I don't even know your son, but I can guarantee that he's awesome because you seem like a very loving human being. Um, and so it's like, to me, I just, I'm like, what's, what's the point? Like, I, I don't feel judgment because I know what I'm doing. Does that make sense? Like, I know right. I'm not harming him, but I, I get, I, I get a little defensive for all the mothers out there who choose a method. They're kind of wishy-washy and they get people on social media or their friends saying, you're a horrible mother. You, I can't believe you just ruined your child. He's going to end up, you know, in awful things. Like they say awful things. I don't even want to say it, but like this kid is going to end up in like situations that are on the news. And I'm like, this is just so mean. Like stop I cried it out as a child and yeah. I would like to think that I'm a pretty well-adjusted adult. Yes. And like, so, yeah, I agree. I think, and are. I don't, and I don't sit here and say, you know, I'm so angry at the world because my parents made me cry it out when I was an infant. You know, in fact, when we were going to preschool, he, um, before COVID-19, even his teacher said, he's just the happiest, most laid back, harmless kid. And I, I think that's just part of his personality. But I also think, again, he comes from a loving, caring home where everything that we're doing is coming from a place of love. And going back briefly before we wrap up, the bedtime routine. What did you guys do with your bedtime routine? I'm curious. Or did you do a bedtime routine? So we just did teeth brushing. Um, we read two books in the rocking chair um, and then sang songs. And then we kissed him and put him in his bed and said goodnight. What I want people to hear, and that's why I'm happy you said that, because there's a stigma or like a misconception, I should say, that it's literally this callous situation where you're dropping the baby and walking out the door. It's There's a process, and we did the same thing. I actually do a really long bedtime routine because I have an exhausting day at work, and I it's my, it's my relaxing time. So it, it's literally maybe some days are shorter, but usually it's anywhere from 30 minutes to 45 minutes because I want that. It's not for him. But it's, it's, to me, it's such an endearing time. Like, you know, like you said, I read to, I bat time bottle and then I have to give him medicine and then we, we read and I talk to him for like 10 minutes and I just tell him about my day. He like looks around like, what the heck is this lady doing? Um, and then I, yeah, I snuggle. I use my little like portable rocker. And then I, I, like I said, I put him down. I give him a kiss. I like lean over the side of the crib. I, I jump and I give him a kiss and I say, I love you, sweetheart. And I walk out and he looks at me like mama and he's so sweet. And it's, it's such a beautiful thing now because when I do that and we watch him on the monitor the minute we come out and how easy it is for him to go down now. And he literally does a, like a two minute, like rocking back and forth and then he's down. And I'm just so proud of him. Like, and I know you're proud of your children too, like right. seeing them do that. And I really appreciate you sharing that message with me because if someone does find this method to be the method they choose, I don't want them to feel like they got caused any damage because, Hey, I did it. You did it right thousands of people are doing it maybe they're not the ones telling people on social media and that's the thing is i think a lot of people there's a, because there's a stigma with it a lot of people aren't speaking up and saying that they're that's what they've done or that's the method that worked for them and again not every kid is the same it's a not it's not a one size fits all so what works for me and my family may not work for another mother and her family and that's okay well, I wanted you to give a final message, but that sounds like a really good final message to me. Is there anything else that you would say, like in terms of uh, for anyone listening? And um, 
I would definitely say one, if you're a mother who's struggling with a baby who isn't sleeping, you're not alone and it's all just a phase. And two, it's okay to try. And if it doesn't work for you to try another method, but once you do think that you are making progress, keep at it. Even if it's a little hard, keep trying. You'll get there. At some point they all sleep. Exactly. And at some point they all sleep. And the final, you mentioned this in the, in, in our conversation that as we, no one is sitting around as 20, 30 year olds talking about how we were sleep trained when we were younger. So for us right. to be debating this back and forth and saying, you're depriving, you're doing this, da, da, da. I'm like, no one is asking at a job interview. Well, how did your mother sleep train you? <laughs> no one is asking these questions. So it really is up to the family to decide what's best for them, what's best for the child. And like you said, beautifully changing it up if it's not for, if it's not the method that works. And I think that's such a, such a beautiful message. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rash, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball. Let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC. That's P-E-D-S-D-O-C. Look, you gave me such amazing information and such good insight. I cannot thank you enough, Lauren, for being here. Oh, you're today. welcome. I love thank it. Thank you. I'm I'm very big on sleep training. So yes. this was very fun to talk about. And I really appreciate you opening up about the method because like you said, it's the least talked about method and it is just a method that I do see work for many families. So I appreciate you um, coming on and talking about it and obviously um, you know, sharing sharing the airwaves with me today. Yeah. And thanks for uh, having me. Yeah. This was kind of neat. And uh, thank you for everything that you do with you are a pediatrician, a mother, and you're adding, you know, all of this to your 
huge basket. I don't know how you do it all, but we all really appreciate it as mothers. So thank you very, very much. No, I will do another episode on how I handle it all. (laughs) It's a whole episode. Just kidding. Um, But no, I really appreciate you. It's super fun for me. I, you know, kind of going a little tangent again. The reason I started this was because of all this sort of, but why this? Why can't I do this? I'm like, guys, I'm going to tell you how it really is and how you know, this doesn't have to be so much, well, you're doing bad. You're doing this. Like it's, it doesn't have to be so divisive. Like no. it doesn't have to be like, we're all, I know a lot of mothers are listening, but we're all a lot. We're all mothers. We're all, we all want the best for our children, but it really needs to be, there just needs to be so much less. You are doing this bad and you suck and da da da. I'm like, we're women. We should support each other. And this needs to stop. We're all doing our best. Yes. Yeah. As long as you're doing your best, you're doing a great job. Exactly. Lauren, thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. So the next mom I have is Miriam, and she's actually a very special guest because she's also a pediatrician, which I think is super cool that she responded to me when I requested moms um, for this episode. So it's going to be nice to hear her perspective as a fellow pediatrician and a mother. Um, And she's going to be talking about Ferber method, which is a very popular method um, that I also support. So thank you, Miriam, for being, uh, being with us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. So how old is your child right now? She just turned two. Two. Okay. And so how old was she when you decided that you wanted to do the Ferber method of sleep training? She was three months and she was actually born five and a half weeks early. So kind of significant in the whole grand scheme of things. And what was the reason that you decided that it was the right time for her? Um, Obviously, I know you're a pediatrician too, but was there kind of a reasoning when you were like, you know what, I want to do it now. I don't want to wait. Um, What was the reasoning behind that? So it was somewhat selfish in a sense um, that it was the weekend before I was going back to work and I had my baby early, which basically ended my residency. She was born right at the end of my third year of residency. And I was going to be doing a chief resident year, which is a pretty grueling year um, and was going to be very busy when I went to start back to work. And I was also going to be studying for my pediatric board exam that was going to be in October, which was, you know, a handful of months later. And I just thought to myself, if I'm not sleeping, I'm not going to pass my boards. I'm not going to do well in my job. Nobody's going to be happy. And we all just need to sleep. And how, how did it kind of go? Like if you can, I know it's been a few years, but how did it kind of go night by night? Do you remember kind of the, the scenario? <laughs> yeah. So we did Ferber. So basically a modified cried out where you let them cry in extended intervals. You go in um, for a minute and comfort them. And then if they're still crying, you leave regardless. So the first night we let her cry for five minutes. We went in for a minute, left, and then let her cry for seven minutes, went in for a minute, left, and then let her cry for nine minutes. And that was going to be, every interval was going to be nine minutes. The first um, time we went in there and we had to leave when she was still crying, I lost it and said to my husband, you have to go in again because it's it's not going to happen if I'm the one that has to go in. So I think that's part of why we were successful. Um, Did you, so uh, I'm happy also that you're a pediatrician because I know you probably give all this advice to your patients too, Mm -hmm. like I do, which is, which is great. Um, Was it, did you have to do like a bedtime routine to get her super drowsy or did you let her like, is it basically you set her down at a, a same time every night? How did you approach the timing of when you laid her down? So we started with a bedtime routine pretty strictly, I would say at least four to six weeks prior to that. Um, just keeping lights low, stimulation low, doing the same thing every night so she would 
know that bedtime was coming, but we did have to like rock her to sleep, soothe her to sleep. She was not able to put herself to sleep at that point. Um, so I knew we were going to have to intervene in some way. And she also had never gone more than five hour stretches of sleeping before waking up again, regardless if she was hungry or not, she would just wake up. And um, in terms of, so you talked about that, that first night and you had to, you know, you talked to your partner about mm-hmm. like, you know, that's actually we'll get into that, but that is a huge, huge comment that I agree with that sometimes the parent that is less, you know, less likely to kind of break that sort of um, agreement that you have is the one who should be, um, you know, obviously taking a step back if they're going to, if they're going to jump too soon. Um, How many nights did it take for this to kind of set in, would you say? Three to four. Three to four. Night number two, um, again, because this is a lot of people listening may not know about Ferber. Um, Night number two, did you start the minute interval where you left off the night before? So just say, you know, you got to 10 minutes. Did you start at now 10 minutes set on night two or did you start from the beginning? So we did five, seven, nine the first night and then we did six, eight, 10 the second night. Perfect. Yeah. And that's, you know, a lot, I'll, I'm talking about Ferber in a different episode, but I love when obviously other mothers are talking about it too. Um, and that was done obviously three to four nights. Did you also deal with, you know, regressions where you had to re-sleep train her in the same method? No, we actually got very lucky. No. She never went through a regression. The only time she really um, would wake up in the middle of the night is when she was sick. And then, you know, the rules kind of go out the window when they're sick. But she never went through a regression, which I know is somewhat rare. A lot of babies do when they're, um, you know, meeting new developmental milestones. But yeah, we never had to deal with that. That's awesome. No, I and I talk about regressions in another episode too because uh-huh. I think there's there's a fear. If you fear it, then it becomes an issue. And I'm I'm saying it right. like this, and I, maybe you agree that when parents come to me in my office and they're like oh my gosh, I'm so worried about this going to happen. I'm like, well, then if you're worrying about it, you're almost willing it to happen. But if you just kind of right. go with the flow, like you're just going to deal with it as it comes rather than right. fearing it as a four month regression or fearing it as an 18 month regression when it's actually life, right? Like everyone's right. going through ups and downs and having to retrain whatever it is. And we, so you brought up a really good point that I want to talk about that you sleep trained um, your daughter at around three months and she uh, no, adjusted for age because of her prematurity, mm-hmm. maybe about two months. Um, did you get any judgment about that? Because I also sleep train Ryan very early and I'll mention that, but did you get any judgment or no? You know, I don't think I did just because I am a pediatrician yes. and I think that judging me, you know, they assume that I know what's best. Um, I knew that it might not work. Um, I know that generally, if you read all the books, most of them are going to say, don't do it before six months. Some will say you can do it as early as four months, but really none are going to tell you to do it before four months. Um, it was really a mentor of mine in residency who did it at four or five months, um, to his daughter. And, and when I was pregnant said, sleep train your kid at three months, do it before you go back to work. It's possible. Yes. So I list, I had that in my ear and I was like, okay, well, if my you know, she was premature, but at that point she was healthy, doing everything she was supposed to do. She was, you know, over like 12 pounds or so. She was big enough and didn't need that nighttime feeding anymore. So I was like, why not? Let's try it. And so, yeah, I, and so I used to work at a private practice in New York City and I can't name names, but I used to, you can look it up, but I used to work at a private practice who sleep trained babies at two months. It was huge. And it was this controversial thing. And everyone who came to this practice knew that they're going to talk about sleep training in two months. And it was, I saw it work so well. Um, And so when we had Orion, 
And obviously I was working there for two years and I was like, wow, okay, all these babies are sleeping through the night and it's amazing. So all these babies were doing well. Um, the parents were happy and the children were developing and obviously securely attached, all the things that people are worried about with prime methods, right? Mm -hmm. So when we had Ryan, um, my husband was like, when are we going to be able to sleep train? I'm like, whoa, let's, <laughs> meaning this is actually when I was pregnant, right? And then yeah. I, I know you follow me on Instagram and then we had our birth trauma and then he had some mm -hmm. issues. So obviously the, the talk never came because we were like, let's see how it goes. And right. we made the decision to do it so early um, at two months, we did, because he was already stretching feeds about eight hours. So in our eyes, we were like, look, if he's already stretching, um, it's going to be that extra few, like three, four hours to get him to that full, you know, 11 to 12 hours. Let's try it. And you said it perfectly that the, the partners have to be on the same page and you have to kind of decide who's going to be, who's it going to be harder for. It was actually harder for my husband. Um, I knew like you that I wasn't harming him. I knew that, you know, this was going to be fine. So I actually did it when my husband was at work in the evenings because the crying happened more at the beginning of the night. And then the rest of the night he was fine because he wasn't used to that first four hours where he's like, wait, I'm supposed to be up now at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock. Um, but, you know, the two points that I'm happy we're talking about is this controversy over how soon can you do it? And I know people are going to be like, oh my gosh, that's so early. I have seen many babies be successfully sleep trained as early as two months. And it's because of where I used to work. Now, would I say that every kid could get that? Probably not if they're like feeding continuously through the night or if there's, you know, medical issues or whatever it may be. But I think, you know, there's not a lot of research on two months and sleep training. So a lot of it's based on our experience. And exactly. like you said, your, your mentor who said, look, I see things happen. And that's kind of where I'm coming from too, right? That right. I'm making those judgment calls. Honestly, no evidence on whether it's safe or not. It's just knowing that these kids are turning out awesome. 10 right. years, 15 years down the line, no one knows or cares how you were sleep trained. <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, um, you know, we go through our, our training and we take these exams and sleep training is never going to be on an exam. It's never going to be part of the literature that, you know, we have to learn to get to the next phase in our career. But it's such an important thing that we need to know to help guide other people in this process. Um, you know, I've helped friends do it just because they saw how well my daughter was sleeping. And, and I, I think, you know, there is a lot of research out there that supports a child with healthy sleep habits and how, you know, it, it's developmentally beneficial to the child. It's, it's good for the parents' mental health, you know, decreases postpartum depression. There's so many benefits to having a child who has a um, healthy relationship with sleep. And I think doing it sooner rather than later is helpful in the sense of um, there's less, you know, bad learned behaviors, you know, that like, it's, it's hard to do it once a child can go from the laying to sitting position because then they don't want to go, you know, back to lay down again. They keep themselves up longer. So I, I think that there's not one right time for every child, but I think that bringing it up and talking about it and having that discussion and letting parents be like, oh, like maybe they are ready because they're doing this, this, and this um, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, you know, I, I'm loving that we're able to connect also because like I said earlier that we're both pediatrician and moms as well, but the, um, you know, the, the timing and the decision on how you do it is so parent-based, right? And right. I, I also like that sweet spot. So I don't tell every family to do two months. That Those are only families that come to me and they're like, look, I'm exhausted. Right. Are my kids doing this? What do you think? And I'm like, look, 
if you want to do it, I, you know, um, but it's, it's important for families to hear all this, right? Because there are so many families listening that I'm sure that are thinking, wow, can I want to sleep train my kid at three months, but you know, I'm hearing this out of the other. It's good, obviously, if they're gaining weight appropriately, like, you know, mm-hmm. tracking on their percentiles. Obviously, I don't want them dropping or having severe reflux or, you know, other medical issues, but it is a possibility to consider. And I, you know, you also mentioned about, I asked you about judgment. Judgment's an interesting thing because I also don't get judgment. And I think I don't get judgment because I don't feel judgment because I'm a pediatrician. I, I know I, you people feel judgment if they're insecure about their decisions. So, and it's an interesting question because you just said it perfectly that, no, I didn't feel judgment because you knew as a pediatrician that you're doing everything in the right way and that you're a loving mother. So that's what I hope people are understanding from this conversation that whatever you choose, whether you want to delay it a little bit or do it or whatever method you choose, if it's your decision, stick with it and don't let anyone tell you that it's, you know, not, not a good one because that is kind of where it comes from, right? Judgment, because if you're, if you're like, you know, I'm doing the best thing I can with the information and resources I have, then you're not going to feel that, that, uh, that, that level of, uh, you know, oh, wow, maybe I shouldn't have done it. So I completely agree with you, Miriam. I'm so happy we talked about this. Yeah. And I, I, and I also believe that, um, doing it at a young age creates a healthy relationship with sleep for the child because you don't have that, that constant battle. So like, you know, my daughter will will do like a fun bedtime routine. My husband like made up this big like big jump thing where they go all across the second floor of our house before we put her in her crib, and it's like the most exciting part of the day. And then she just goes to sleep and she has her stuffed animals. And then when she wakes up in the morning, she's not crying. She's just like kind of playing in her crib till we get her up. And she's been like that since she was three months old. You know, yeah. obviously we have the stuffed animals in there when she was really little, but but she. Um, but she would just kind of lay there and like, you know, make noises, but she's never been upset in her crib. And I, I'm just a believer that that's because she kind of learned how to sleep at an early age and it's a good experience. It's not a negative experience. So it is a beautiful thing watching your kid love sleep, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning it's, and like you said, perfectly, like I, on my videos, on my Insta story, Ryan always wakes up with the biggest smile on his face because he's sleeping 11 hours. Right. So he's sleeping 11 hours. So of course you're going to wake up with a smile on your face. I'd wake up with a smile on my face if I slept 11 right. hours. Um, but it's, it, it is possible. And you're right that I, I love this, Miriam, because it is a skill and it is something that you're not, you know, I know the anti-sleep training, again, things that kids need to be attached to us. They can't learn this skill. I, I disagree. I think children are super capable mm-hmm. and they understand that sleep is for sleep and daytime is for the, you know, back and forth with the parents, right? You're never going to leave your kid crying for hours or 40 minutes right. in the middle of the day, you know, like right. that's different. This is not, this is, this is boundary setting with sleep and it's a skill and I love it. Like, I think it's so, it's beautiful to watch because when you get to the other side, you're like, wow. And you're like, he does his like, you know, two minute, five minute routine where he kind of like, you know, rocks himself. And then he finally, whoop. and that's after, like you said, a, a 20, 30 minute whole bedtime routine that I do every night, you know? So he's getting that connection mm-hmm. like you do with your daughter. And then it's finally like, I love you, sweetheart. And then he goes in the crib and he's like, okay, time for bed. <laughs> um, right. It's awesome. I watch it on the monitor every night because I'm just so amazed. Yeah, I'm just really amazed with what he's capable of doing. And he's they're smart and they know that this is not anything more than just, okay, it's bedtime. Time to go That's to bed. Right. Exactly. When I, <laughs> yeah. you know, as like as on the pediatrician side, I always bring it up with parents 
you know, I always talk about sleep a lot at two months because I think two months is a really good time to get into that routine. Not, you know, you don't have to sleep train at two months, but doing the same thing every night, keeping lights low, keeping stimulation low, um, kind of identifying those tired cues to know when your baby needs to go to sleep. Cause everybody's like, Oh, when should they be going to sleep? And you know, not every kid is going to be on the exact same time, but kind of noticing when your child is sleepy is the most important part. And I kind of like put it in their head about, you know, these are things you can do as they get a little bit older, once they're ready. So that way it's at least in their head and they haven't, if they haven't done anything, they come back at four months and they're like, okay, I know you talked about sleep, like something about that. Like we need to start sleeping. Let's talk about it because I want them to know at two months, like this isn't going to last forever. Let's get into some good habits. And there is something we can do about it. If you're not ready, you know, to do it between now and the four month visit, then four months is a great time to do it as well. And at least it's not going to be something that I just, you know, mention out of nowhere, they've at least thought about, oh, maybe we do need to sleep more. Maybe my child doesn't need to, to feed in the middle of the night. They weigh, you know, 14 pounds and they're feeding really well during the day. So that's kind of how I like to do it to kind of like just slide it in there and then kind of gauge how ready they are. Because I don't think it, you can be successful if the parent is not ready, because the most important part of sleep training is consistency and sticking with it. Um, the second you kind of deviate from that, it's over. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the philosophy behind sleep that I learned comes from a lot of French philosophy that you're right, goes into that first trimester or the fourth trimester about how we approach baby sleep in the first, you know, first three months of life, meaning taking a pause before you react, um, learning their sleepy cues. And I agree, because if you can do that, you may not even need like you may get a kid like that sleeps longer stretches because you set up those sleep cues. And I love that you put that into into the family's heads, you know, at the two month, because it's important for them to look at those cues as important as it is to engage with your child. Like the sleepy hunger and play cues are so important. And if you read that, then you may not even need to do a lot of training because for Ryan, he didn't cry a lot. He actually didn't cry a lot because we had done these tips before and you said it perfectly, that bedtime routine, the lights dim month before we actually did the training because that was part of our routine and it primes their body for sleep. And it's, it's a pretty, pretty fascinating thing. I think infant sleep is so, so interesting. And obviously having done it, it's like, it's interesting now to see him go through as he gets older and how he, how he handles sleep like a champ. And I know it's hard, not easy for all families, but um, what would be your final message to, you know, any parents listening? You kind of gave so many amazing pearls throughout this conversation, but what would be your take home? I would say that um, kind of really check in with yourself to see how important this is. And, you know, when I did it, it was textbook where every night she cried, like the crying was cut in half. And, you know, we did it within four days. She was going down, maybe whimpering for 30 seconds and then was quiet before she went to sleep. So, I was really nervous. I didn't want to hear my child cry, but after seeing how amazing it went and how easy it really ended up being and the amazing relationship she has with her crib and sleep now, it's the best thing we ever did. I mean, we're having our second in the fall and as soon as they're ready, probably at three months again, that kid's going to get sleep trained because I just think it was one of the best things we did. And, um, but I, I do feel like the parents need to feel ready um, and really need to be all in on it in order for it to be as painless as possible. Yeah. And you said it consistency between 
consistent consistency in the method that's chosen and then mm-hmm. consistency between all caretakers. Exactly. And you said you said that beautifully in the episode because or in the conversation because if one like if one parent caves in then that's fine you can cave but then you have to just reset just take a break and try it again later right you don't want to mm-hmm. commit to it if you're just not ready i i love yeah. it Marianne, i wish we, we could talk we could do a whole episode talking about <laughs> this but um i really appreciate your perspective it's super nice like i said um being a mom obviously and as a pediatrician because i know you give this advice um day in and day out so rather than um, people just hearing from one pediatrician they get to hear from two which i think is super cool and i wish you the best of luck with the rest of your pregnancy and i'm um, hoping, hoping you get some sleep yes thank you so much so nice talking with you so our next mom is hope and hope has a two and a half year old son and she did a cry method um, initially, and then later, when her son went through a regression later um, in toddler years, she actually did a more um, gradual or gentler method that didn't involve as much crying. So, Hope, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So, let's talk about when your son was more in that infancy period. Um, how old was he um, when you did the sleep training the first time? Um, so, he was around seven and a half months. Okay. And why did you decide at that point that you were ready to do sleep training? So um, we were living in a one bedroom apartment up until that point. Um, So when we moved and he got his own room, we were pretty ready to have him um, to start sleep training at that point. Okay. And in when you did it at that point, obviously, if you can describe if you remember, I know it's been like, you know, over a year. um, But if you can describe how it kind of went night by night, or just general, um, if you can remember, like, just general details. Sure. So um, we did um, kind of a method where we would put him down um, drowsy, but not asleep um, and check on him um, every few minutes, like gradually um, until he was sleeping. The first few nights he did cry a lot, um, but it wasn't as bad as like I've heard like two hours or something like that. Like it was maybe like 20, 30 minutes. Um, and then he would fall like instantly asleep and then it did get better as the nights went on. So, um, if you can remember, did he, was he, what's the longest stretch he was doing at night at that point between feeds? Um, so he was doing at that point, um, by the time we did start sleep training, he would get one feed between like three and 4am. So he went to bed around like seven or seven thirty. Okay. And so 7.30, he went to bed and then got one feeding in 3, 4, and then would wake up at 7? Yeah, right around that time. Okay. And so when you did this um, this method, um, you said that you allowed for you allowed for some crying before you went in, or you did check-ins where you were by his side even before he started crying? So we allowed for crying before okay. we went in. We would leave for like a certain amount of time and then yes. come back. So kind of like the Ferber method. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure because... Um, there's there's the Ferber method, which is what you just described. And then there's also some people do something different, which is not a official method where they basically stay by the child for a, a, for a period of time, even if they're not crying and then they leave and it's, it's a little backwards, but so you did allow for some crying and graduate it in like gradual increments. Yeah. We left the Okay. Yeah. So how many, how many nights do you think that took to kind of set in? Um, it was probably around like three or four nights. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I've actually been hearing that consistently, um, anywhere from three to four nights, sometimes, uh, sometimes a, a week I've heard, um, with the Ferber and how long did that last for? Meaning where you kind of saw that this was his new sleep rhythm and he was, um, you know, doing, doing this pretty much every night. Um, so probably he, right around 12 months, he had a big regression. 
Um, and that's when we kind of had to just like throw away sleep training for a little bit and just like survive. And he was waking up a lot at night and we were doing more of like rocking him and just trying to get all of us to have more sleep. And at that point, so when you did it at one year um, plus, how did it look like then? Because you kind of said it obviously wasn't the as much of the crying method, but what did you do differently this time around? Yeah. So we waited like a few months where we were, he wasn't like after like the initial regression, maybe like a week, he was waking up a couple times at night. Um, and yeah. after that, he was, he was pretty much sleeping mostly through the night. Sometimes he would wake up at like 5am and I might have nursed him just to go back to sleep for another, another hour or two. Um, but he was pretty much still sleeping. It was just the going to sleep what he was fighting bedtime at that point more so. Um, so for a couple months, we kind of just didn't sleep train at all. And we were, my husband and I were either rocking him to sleep. Um, and then we decided that he needed to be able to um, fall asleep on his own as he was previously. Um, so that's when we started like a more gradual method. Okay. And um, what did that kind of look like? So we did, um, we would, he would still be, we would um, have his routine and, um, we sang him a song and rocked him and all that, read him books. Um, and then we put him down in his crib awake and we would rub his back for a little bit and sit. we sat in his room and we started sitting like right next to the crib where he could see us. And he was at a point then where he like, I mean, he was probably 16, 17 months. So he like knew what was going on more than it would. Um, and then we would slowly like move back every couple days or even like sometimes I would sit there for five minutes and like inch my way to the door um, and then he at first like got upset a little bit, um, but he would slowly um, get used to us moving away and he would fall asleep on his own. And he wasn't falling asleep right away. He, that's when he would start. I think around like 17, 18 months is when he would sit in his crib for like 10, 20 minutes and talk to himself for a while before he actually went to sleep. So when you did that sort of gradual moving for, away from him, right? So you started off with like kind of you said you started off with kind of patting him. Yeah, just like rubbing his back if he was upset, like sitting next. So how many, did you do that for like, is that what you did for a few nights? And then you moved to sitting by a chair by the crib and then you moved to near the door? Um, so I think what we did was we would like pat his back and sit in the room and um, and then, yeah, so we would start like right next to the crib that first, the first few nights and then slowly move away. And then like, I started like farther away. I don't think I was actually sitting in a chair. I was sitting on the floor and like scooting further away. Um, yeah, so it was like every few days I would start like farther away from him um, than I had like the previous night. I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and did he have any, my, my question, so in one night you would eventually leave the room, right? Yeah. So was there nights where he would wake back up and you'd have to go back inside? Um, or not really? He wasn't really waking up at that point. Maybe like the first month or two, like after he turned 18 months, he, unless something was wrong, he wasn't really waking up in the middle of the night. You bring up a good point because I, yeah, because I'm asking because in the toddler years, I find that if the, if there's sleep concerns, there's usually more issues in the beginning of the night, which is what you kind of saw, like getting himself to go down. And then once they're down, they tend to sleep through the night. And that's why I'm asking, like, if you had, if you had like middle of the night wakings, like you did when you were, you know, he was an infant. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. think, um, Unless they're like he was sick or like of course or something like that. I don't I don't remember like specific um issues of waking up. Yeah, and that's kinda why I, I like 
I mean, again, everyone has their own beliefs on sleep training and when to do it and whatnot. I like sleep training as a pediatrician for many reasons, but I like it because when you do it, you can kind of know, like you said, well, of course, then he, when he wakes up, you know that something might be up, right? Um, teething, sickness, whatever it may be. When you know that that's the routine and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, you might want, you know, you'll go and check in. Um, so this is great. I love that you obviously talked about the fact that you did one method and then had to switch because I think parents sometimes don't remember that. They think that, oh, well, I can do the same thing, the same time, same age, but you might want to adapt based on your comfort and your child's comfort. Um, how did each of those methods make you feel? Like, did you have like, you know, especially with the cry method and even with the other one, did you find one harder than the other or they were, you know, they were equally the same? Um, I think they were hard in different ways. The cry method, like I got really anxious when he was really upset. And like, even sometimes I remember, like I would step out on like the back porch and my husband would be like, do it, like putting him to bed or looking at the monitor or whatever, just cause I couldn't hear. It was like maybe the second night I was like, I already heard him cry last night. I can't hear him cry again. <laughs> um, so that was definitely hard, but I think it definitely was a quicker like sleep training than the the gradual one. Yeah. But I also think with then on the other side of it with the gradual method, um, he, because he was older, I think he understood more that like, Oh, I was sitting like, mommy's sitting right next to me and then I have to start going to sleep and then she's going to leave. And like, he was learning like, Oh, I actually need to put myself to sleep rather than I'm going to like cry. And then I'm going to fall asleep. I don't, I don't know. Like, so I think like it took longer and it, um, it was maybe like over a week that he was like, finally, like it was a consistent, very consistent for like a little over a week, maybe until he like finally was like, we can put him in his crib. And um, I think for, and then after that he would, we even once we put him in his crib and walked out of the room for a little bit, we were standing outside his door for like a minute or two. And he would just be like, mommy. And we'd be like, yeah, I'm right here. And then that was it. So like, it was even to that point where he was still like, just needed the reassurance. But, and then after that, we just put him in and walk away. Yeah. You're, you said it perfectly. And I, I like again, talking to you and it's, this episode is so awesome for this reason, just because I like to hear how mothers feel when they do things. And I think that's going to give everyone a really good perspective. Um, but yeah, you're right that both methods are d difficult in different ways. Um, I agree with the fact that I think gradual methods do take longer. Um, some kids do need gradual methods because the cry methods don't work or, you know, like, like you said. Um, but I, I think that's such a great point. Um, did you tell anyone, did anyone ever ask you like friends, family, social media about what methods you were using or you guys kind of just did it on your own? Um, so I have like two close mom friends that I met at like a new mom's group. So our kids are exactly the same age. So we have like a group text that we, even now we all moved away and we still like text all the time. Um, so we've like bounced ideas off of each other about like sleep training and stuff like that. Um, and we kind of all, I think did the same thing in the beginning and then, once we've all kind of hit the same issues. Um, and I think my two friends um, might have continued to do more of like a cry method and it worked for them and it wasn't really working as much for us. So that's basically who I talked to about it. I don't think I really talked about it with anyone else. And did you, I mean, it sounds like you have the, that group was very supportive. Did you get any judgment? It sounds like probably not. Everyone's pretty supportive of whatever method. Yeah. Everyone was pretty supportive. Awesome. No, I think that's, I find that obviously within friend groups, it's usually support because they're your friends. Obviously, I hope so. That yeah. even if it's something that may not be what they do, they're still your friends so that you guys can get through the fact that, hey, we may not do things exactly the same, but we're, you know, we're still friends. 
Um, but I find that the, like some of the, oh, don't do that, do this. Like, how could you do this comes more on like social media platforms. So I was just curious if you had, um, you know, received any sort of judgment or feedback. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm in like a bunch of Facebook groups, but I'm not like super, like, I don't have a huge like, following on social media. So I'm not like posting about that type of stuff, like personal, like, yeah. So I guess, um, I wouldn't get that much feedback about it. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's, it kind of goes, what you're describing kind of goes basically to my message and that any method is great. It just has to do with the child and the mom and the dad and the partners or whoever, you know, just, it really just depends on the caretaker's comfort level and also the child. So I, I really appreciated hope. Is there any final message you would have to, you know, parents that are listening in regards to, um, you know, getting your child to sleep and self-settle? Yeah. I mean, I guess kind of bouncing off of what you said, like every baby is different and every parent is different. So I don't think there's like a one method fits all for everyone. So, and I also like, there's so many parenting books out there and sleep books that like, like, it's just like overwhelming for a lot of times for parents to be like, what am I going to do? Um, so I think just figuring out what works best for your situation, um, might, and also won't work best for like someone else's situation and just like going with that even if you have to like try a couple different things yeah and I um in my other episode that I debuted this week about like when I talk about sleep training um I talk about how we're as a generation we're overthinking how we approach sleep with our kids in the sense that we're so worried that we're gonna do something wrong and that we're losing sleep over it like it is like our parents generation if you talk about this, they're like, what are you talking about? What's sleep training? <laughs> you just put your kid in and it was done. Like there was no like, oh, am I doing it wrong or bad? And so I really, I love that because I really think it's important that parents understand that um, they got to do what's best for them. It doesn't matter what anyone else says, whatever makes them sleep better at night in the figurative sense too, right? Like if something's not feeling right to you and you're like, I don't like this, I don't want the crying or I don't like the gradual or I don't like this. It's important to just listen to your heart and say, okay, let's do this. And yeah, totally great message. Hope, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you so much for having me. So the next mom I have um, did things a little bit differently than what you heard in the last segment. So the last segment, we had a mother who chose to do a cry method first, didn't work um, as the child got older, so switched to a more gradual method that involved a little less crying. And in this situation, I'm welcoming Anna, who actually started with a more gradual method um, and then had to actually switch to a uh a method that involved a little more crying as the child got older. So thank you for being here, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. So how old is your child right now? Um, Amelia is 13 months old. She just turned 13 months on the 25th. So when did you decide um, to do the first round of sleep training? Uh, the first round of sleep training was around um, five months old. Um, Amelia was a micro preemie. So we knew that it would be quite a while before she was able to go more than two to three hours without her feeds. So at about five months, she started kind of refusing that night bottle, um, refusing any kind of soothing unless you held her. And that's when we tried um, a very, very gentle approach of just kind of rubbing her back. And if she's cried for more than 30 seconds to a minute, we picked her right up and re-rocked her back to sleep. And did you find that, that that helped and then there was good kind of sleep habits for a while and then it, and then it changed? Or was it ever really a, a, a success in, in, I guess, quote unquote? It was slightly successful, um, maybe for the first month. Um, she would sleep for longer, maybe four-hour stretches. Um, but about six months, she started kind of cutting her first tooth, and it all just went out the window. Um, we headed into holiday season, 
Nats got a little messed up. We were transitioning from that three to two. And at one point she was up 10 to 15 times a night. Uh, oh, wow. and, that, and that was at six months? That was between six months and about seven months. It got really intense. And was it more, do you think that she actually needed something or she just didn't know how to put, she didn't know how to self-settle? I don't think she knew how to self-settle. I think she'd do that slight awake um, and kind of wake herself up or some sound would happen um, with the older kids outside the room or we would make a noise because she was in our room in a pack and play and she'd just be done. And she wouldn't settle back down. She, I just don't think she knew how to put herself back to sleep. So the gradual methods that you used involved more, like you said, uh, patting her back and a pacifier? Yes. And then um, slight rocking, you know, pick her up and kind of like hold her um, and then try to get her back to sleep that way and gently put her back down to sleep. Um, but she would have to be completely dead asleep and out for a solid 10 minutes before you could even move or she'd wake up. Did you have like a minute plan for each? I'm just asking, like, did you have like, okay, we'll use the pacifier for a certain amount of time, rocker for a certain amount of time, or was it just more getting her down to be drowsy? Yeah, it was just getting her down to be drowsy. There okay. was no real plan, no real method other than just soothe her when she fussed and don't let her fuss for very long. Okay. And then, so when did you change to do a different method? How old was she at that point? At that point? Um, she was a eight and a half, nine months old. Um, at eight months, we moved her to her room. And at about eight and a half, nine months, I realized that she needed to learn that skill. I needed her to learn that skill. And so did our, our whole family just needed her to just be able to lay down for more than 10 minutes by herself. And so at that point, um, what methods did you choose and why did you choose to do it um, differently? Because we know it's uh, obviously involved a little more crying. So what, why did you choose that method and um, how did it look like for you guys? We uh, chose a little bit more of a cry it out method um, while still kind of listening to her cues. If she made a cry that was really intense or a cry that sounded more than just like a, a fuss, we would go in. But um, we chose the cry it out method just sheer watching her personality. She um, is very strong willed, very determined, does beats to her own drum, um, very, very independent. And so we knew that what we had tried for eight and a half months of just, you know, going in and it's okay and slight soothing. It just wasn't going to be her method. And it was kind of a trial and error. I was like, let's see if this helps. Um, I had gone back to night shift. So we were really kind of trying to ha give my husband some support and not have him up every two hours and then go to work. And then I'm still not home the next night and then the next night. Um, so that's kind of what led us to that cry it out method. So when you did the cry it out, um, did you also, at that point, was she still eating at night or was it more the cry it method with no eating overnight? It was uh, no eating. She had okay. transitioned. She had pretty much not every, any, anytime we offered her a bottle, she might drink an ounce and then she wasn't interested. And she was very much into solids. Um, when we did her feeding around six months, by eight months, she was extremely into solids and usually could make it a good while without a bottle. This was more just waking up because she didn't know how to go back to sleep. And that's a, that's a great point, right? Because there's a whole, you know, you can kind of start to tell when it's, an, as, as when you start to know your baby, whether what their kind of cry means and also the comfortability of kind of, like you said, understanding that, okay, you only took a little sip and it's more of just probably a comfort thing than anything, but maybe we can teach you other skills to go down. Um, so what did it kind of look like? Meaning, did you do the Ferber method or did you do something different like that you kind of created? Um, we kind of did like a, I basically read, I, love research, love diving into all sorts of different ideas. Um, I don't read a lot of parenting books per se, because I feel that it's so individual, but I kind of took pieces of everybody, um, read stuff that sleep coaches had, knew that it was not in our budget to do a sleep coach um, 
And I just didn't feel right paying for like a book that was supposed to be one size fits all for my baby. Um, so we just kind of came up with a method and I picked a stretch where I was off work for four or five nights in a row um, because my husband was not a fan of her crying it out. He still struggles a little bit. He, after our NICU experience, he's just, it's really hard for him. But um, we decided to just kind of try it for, we set some minute intervals. We did, we wouldn't go in for five minutes. Um, and then when we did go in, if she was still fussing, we would rub her back, make sure she had her passy. If she continued to fuss through that and just wouldn't settle, we would actually walk back out for three minutes. We didn't talk. We didn't pick her up. Um, and then after those three minutes, and we just kind of repeated that cycle, slowly expanding those time frames until we got to where she could sleep a stretch or she would wake up, but she'd fall back asleep before it was time for us to go get her. So how many nights did that sort of take? It took about four nights to see any improvement. The first two nights, um, I'm, I literally, we have a couch in our loft. Um, our, we have three bedrooms upstairs um, for the kids and we have a couch in between them. And I literally laid there because I was in her room every couple minutes. I didn't want my husband to hear. I wanted him to just sleep and think it was going fine. Um, and probably about night six or seven, she started to stretch and not wake up as often. And I would say it took another probably two weeks for her to really stretch it out. And I think we got our first sleeping through the night at around two weeks. Um, after you started? Yes, after we started. Nice. Yeah. So that was at eight months. So now she's obviously a little over a year, like 13 months, you mm -hmm. said. So how is she doing with sleep now? She does really well. Um, she, she'll have a few moments here and there, especially between when we tuck her in. We're still, we just transitioned from two naps to one because um, she was taking like a 40 minute cat nap and then being cranky all day. So we just did that transition. So it's kind of messed with our bedtime. Um, but now she's pretty much from, I want to say when we tuck her in between seven and seven thirty to 10, she might wake up and kind of fuss. I didn't realize how noisy of a sleeper babies actually are. Mm -hmm. She'll kind of talk to herself. She'll roll around. She'll stick her hand out the crib. She'll fuss for just 10 seconds and then she'll fall back asleep. Um, but up until about 10, she'll kind of do her thing. Um, might wake up at once and then she'll sleep the whole night. And we usually, I think we've gone in once in the past three months, like that she wasn't able to do herself. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, I love, I love that you DM me about this because it's nice to know that you actually had to readdress and figure out something different. You brought up that because she was a little more independent by nature, right? And every yeah. baby's different. And I appreciate you saying that because that's kind of the purpose of this episode and all my episodes for sleep and that there is no one size fits all no. sort of approach. And it's important to remember that because as a child gets older, you may need to switch your approach and also even between siblings, right? Like your older yep. child may not do the same thing your younger child does. So I really exactly. appreciate that. Did you find, I mean, any struggles or was either method or both methods difficult in any way in um, same ways, or did you have any struggles um, getting through those nights? Um, I think the first, the first method was really tough because it would be just as soon as you fell asleep, she'd wake up. Um, and she, it worked until up until five months because she would go and allow you to soothe her and go back to sleep. And around five months, she would fight. And I mean, there would be, you'd be rocking a baby for two hours. Um, and then you're trying to not sleep with the baby in the rocker and not fall asleep and be safe. Um, and I am, I'm in the pediatric respiratory field. So I was big on like, we can't, every once in a while, if I'm awake and seeing you guys fall asleep, that kind of thing. But we were really trying to be safe. So that was just, just making it through that and feeling like a non-human. 
Um, and the crying was tough until we kind of saw her just blossom and wake up and then put herself back to sleep. Um, and still, I think my husband and I needed to see that she still felt love. She still is thriving. She still loves us, even though we do let her fuss. Um, last night, she fussed two or three times. Last night was a rough night for her, I think. Um, she didn't eat super good that day. Her nap was off. So I knew it was kind of a rough night. We actually ended up going back in and rocking her, you know, doing our night routine a second time. And then she finally conked out for the night. Um, so last night was rough. But otherwise, it, it was a blessing to just two weeks of rough crying a little bit and then watch her just be like, oh, I, I can do this. I can sleep. And then it helped nap time. It helped play time because she doesn't scream the moment I walk away. Um, so it's been a really big blessing. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast No One Told Us where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Oh, yeah. And I exactly like I I know there are many people listening that probably won't ever choose to sleep train or choose a cry method or choose any method. Right. And that's OK. But I agree with you that the benefits are there if you can get a child to learn to self-settle. And I mean, that's kind of why many pediatricians are such pro sleep training. It's not you know, there's a lot of debate about it. Like, should we do it? But what if they're not ready? And a lot of it is what you just said that, but especially before the age of one, I find that if we can get this, um, it really makes those toddler years a little more tolerable because everyone's getting at least hopefully eight, nine, you know, obviously 11 to 12 hours is ideal. And it really sets a tone, like you said, for the, for the day. It really does. Did it you really, tell really anyone does. about the methods you chose at all? Like whether you choose the first um, method or second? I talked to the couple friends um, who have at my job, it was kind of like a, like that comes in threes. There was a lot, there was about six people before me who had just had babies. And then I was in a group of three who had just had babies. And we joked that our kids like didn't sleep. And so when mine started to sleep, I kind of talked about it, but 
in all reality, most of my coworkers are like, it, it just is what it is. Um, our family, this is, uh, we're a big family. Um, just even my little nuclear family in itself is a big group of people. So my family just kind of lets us do our own thing. They laugh. Um, we don't do a lot of overnight visits for our kids. It's a little overwhelming for family. So nobody really has to learn our methods. Um, our nanny did have to kind of understand, and um, she wasn't exactly on board with crying it out, um, but she's only here for nap times. Um, so we just had to encourage her that, you know, this was what was working really well for her. And she sets a timer and she'll sit there and she'll text me if it starts like, hey, she's fussing. Um, but since we've gotten pretty good at sleeping and now that we've transitioned from that two to one nap, she's so much easier to put down for nap time because for a minute she was doing great at night. And then all of a sudden her naps were horrible. You couldn't put her down. Um, she'd cry. She just, she'd fuss. She'd sleep for 30 minutes. And then I realized that she just, she was going to transition earlier than my other kids to just one nap. Yeah. And well, uh, naps are a whole different other, other story, but you're right that you're kind of reading their, their cues as for, for naps mm -hmm. as well. And I, your point is valid that like for me too, like there was really no one coming into the home except my nanny. And I, she watched mm -hmm. um, Ryan for one evening um, me and my husband wanted to just go go get some dinner yeah. at, after they opened everything up after COVID opened. Um, and I told her, I'm like, look, you haven't been here at night. Some nights he goes down so fast and some nights he does a little more of a production of like five, you know, two to five minutes of crying. She's like, well, I'm not going to let him cry that much. I'm like, but know that if he does cry, just give him the five minutes. And because we start with five minutes and she, she texts, like I got home and she's like, oh my God, you're right. He cried for a minute and a half. And then I heard nothing. And so I checked up on him because I wanted to make sure he was okay. <laughs> and I'm like, no, he knows what he, we know him. Like we know yeah. he can handle it, but it's a very mm -hmm. valid thing that you, you know, as a parent, you kind of have to set the rules and obviously, you know, it's working best, you know? So you kind of have to just say, this is what we're doing. Um, I'm comfortable with it. It's working for our family. So I appreciate that. That's what I told my husband the other night. I was like, we are protecting bedtime. I was like, do not go in. Cause when I'm at work for a while, he would go back and forth and kind of cheat sometimes. I was like, you're only making it last longer. I honestly think that's why it took two weeks is because he would at two and three in the morning, you know, you just want to sleep or he'd break down or he couldn't handle her crying. And I'd check in from the monitor at work and I'd see him rocking her. And I was like, you, we got to do our own thing. So we loved through it. And finally it clicked that sleeping through the night again is really nice. Yeah. And uh, being an adult and a human who's parenting a human all day with sleep is way easier. So he, he got on board. Oh, absolutely. And I really appreciate you sharing this because like I said, it's just nice to hear um, different perspectives. This episode includes five other mothers besides you. Um, and obviously me talking about a little bit about my experience too. So I really, really appreciate it. Uh, gi giving your perspective. Is there any other final message you would give to everyone listening in regards to sleep? I think the biggest thing is that it's all a season, even those rough newborn hours where you're up every two to three hours. And that's on a good day, um, where you've got one kid nursing and one kid running in circles. Um, breastfeed, like breastfeeding for us did not go well. Um, I think compiled with our NICU state just didn't work. And it's just, I worked up myself, got myself so worked up for things that just pass so quickly and the frustration and the exhaustion, it's a season and it gets so much better every day. It gets better. And then you look back and now like we were in the car today and I was like, do you remember that night? I recorded it in my phone. I typed every minute she woke up, how long she was up, what we did to put her down. There were 18 entries for one night. I was like, do you remember that? And we just laughed. So it, the time will pass and soak it up. 
Oh, what a great message, Anna. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for your messages and your just the genuine love that you provide for everybody. And you can tell that you love what you do and you love the messages that you get to give. And you work so hard to provide such incredibly researched knowledge that it's just you are a goldmine. Oh, thank you. That's so kind. You know, my I started this with like a mission to kind of share so much that I a lot of parents just bring in frustrations and bring in judgment and bring in all the things that the emotions that we just don't need anymore with parenting, right? So exactly what how you started this um, this conversation that there really is no right or wrong. I think every parent just needs to be educated that here are all of your options with everything that I do. You choose what's best for you and everyone else that has judgment. It doesn't matter in parenting what you choose, what someone's choosing to do with their kid, as long as they're raising loving children. Yeah, and exactly. you obviously, I know you ended up choosing a crime method and I have no doubt that your 13 month old is a loving young lady. Um, <laughs> and as is Ryan, right? Because we did choose a yeah. crime method for Ryan. Um, but I think it's important, right? That everyone kind of realizes the, knows the options because there is this sort of, especially around sleep, there is a stigma um, around crime methods. There is a stigma around co-sleeping. It's all over the place. And yeah. mm-hmm. it's just really, a parent needs to do what's best for them and their mental health. So um, the kids are going to turn out fine. <laughs> yes, exactly. Time will pass and all of a sudden you'll be waking them up in the morning like my older kids and be yeah. like, you have to wake up now. <laughs> oh, Anna, thank you so much again. So the next mother I have is Madison and Madison actually has two children. So for her older daughter, she actually co-slept with her and decided to do some sleep training later in her toddler years. And for her younger daughter, she actually chose to sleep train earlier. So I'm really excited to have Madison on to hear why she chose to do it differently for both girls. So welcome, Madison. Hi, how are you? Thank you for being here. So first of all, um, let's talk about your older daughter. So how old was she when you decided that you wanted to um, transition her from co-sleeping to actually sleeping on her own and sleep training? Uh, She was about two, uh, maybe a little over two. We just had a lot of transitions in our life kind of before that, moving across country, living in a fifth wheel, um, doing kind of what just kept our family sane. You know, she went from co-sleeping to sleeping on a mattress in our room to finally her room in a twin bed. We tried the um, taking the side of the crib off. That didn't work. We tried putting her back in the crib, full crib. That didn't work. And then when I got pregnant, putting her in the crib with a belly got really in the way. <laughs> um, yeah. And go so, ahead. Yeah. Well, how did you, how did you decide? I know, cause you obviously went through so much with, um, you know, you said your lifestyle, like moving and whatnot. How, when, how did you decide that it was now the right time? Was it just because, um, you were pregnant or was there any other kind of reason that you were like, you know what, I love co-sleeping, but it's time to kind of move to the next, next step now. Mainly because I was pregnant and I knew we had another child coming and co-sleeping with two children wasn't my ideal. I know many families that do do it and they're totally happy with it but it you know with my husband and two kids and breastfeeding it just didn't just didn't want to be something we wanted to do for the next five or six years so we knew we had to get her in her own room in her own bed successfully so yeah another child on the way was definitely a huge part of it 
Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you completely. You know, this this episode is talking all about different styles of parenting in terms of sleep, right? So like you said, some parents do the co-sleeping until the child's four or five, and that's that's fine. But I obviously like to get the perspective of mothers like you and mothers like me who maybe did things differently. So I, I appreciate you saying that. So I'm curious now when you finally decided to move her from her move her into her own room. So let's say, you know, obviously she was, you said she was with you and then she was in the, on a mattress in your room. How was the process or what did you guys do that you found was successful to get her into her own room or is she in her own room? She is in her own room right now. Um, we, the thing that helped us the most um, was getting a hatch baby light. I don't know if you've heard of them or if other people have heard of them. It's really awesome because you can control it from your phone. You set different times different colors different sounds so her we set it to the normal like light color normal light dim very dim for her sleeping time and then we started off at like 6 45 in the morning which may seem early to some parents but that was late for her to stay in her bed um it would turn green. So it was like, okay, when it turns green, you can go upstairs. And my husband works early. So it would be like, okay, you can go upstairs and go to go get mommy. And so we did 645 for like a week. And then we moved it to seven. And now it's at 710 in the morning, which our one year old wakes up at around six. So I get like an hour, an hour and 10 minutes with her just by herself I can have some coffee and then our three and a half year old will wake up and the light I think was a huge success because it's when the light turns green you can help us make coffee so (laughs) nice and how so she was two years old when you started implementing the light or a little older um a little older she is three and a half now so we actually really only started using it maybe eight months ago um I love the light. I think I actually spoke about that in my other episode, but I think the light is a great thing above three. That's why I'm, I'm curious of what you did because developmentally they can understand that, oh, well, this is kind of a rule now. Like this is kind of what we're, you know, the rule of the house. And did she ever try to break, like come out of the room before that light went out at all? Or when um, She has, I like the first couple uh-huh. times we used it, she did. Um, and we would, since I can control it from my phone and I have a monitor, um, just keeping an eye on her and stuff, it's, I would change it. Like if I'm awake and I'm awake with the baby and my husband's awake, we're upstairs. I can change it to green before seven ten, and she'll get out of her room and come in. And then one day I was kind of messing with her, but, and I changed it to green and she went to her door and then I changed it back and she like ran back in her bed real quick. Um, and my husband's like, don't do that. And I'm like, but she's so smart. Like she knows. Oh, that is smart. Um, You're right. I think there's, I think there's a misconception like um, with older kids, like parents are kind of worried if they haven't done it yet, you know, like with meaning getting boundaries with sleep in their own bed or own room that they're, it's not going to work or that's too late. And I, you're, you're bringing up a perfect point that, they are very smart. They're smart as babies too, but they're very smart in those toddler years. And they actually really like the rules like the, like you did with the light and stuff. And it's kind of fun for them in some ways. Um, and with your younger daughter, uh, you decided to do things a little bit differently, right? Correct. So explain to me why you decided to do it differently for your second. Um, and exactly how you trained her for sleeping. So she, you know, was born and obviously like people with a second kid think, oh, we're just going to do everything the same with the first kid because our first kid's 
you know, easy, great, perfect, whatever, you know, adjective you want to use. So it was easy for us to co-sleep and I breastfed with our older one. And then when our second one, her name is Molly, when she came around and proven to be opposite in just about everything that they are, um, we tried co-sleeping and we did it for about eight months, but it was her and I co-sleeping and then my husband and I in separate beds, which again, I know many couples that do that and they're happy with that. But after a while, it kind of took a toll on our marriage just with, you know, like I would wake up tired because Molly would be awake all night and he'd be getting this nice restful sleep. And then, so in the back of my head, I was like, okay, we need to do something. We need to do something. And then we tried to just put her in her crib and let her cry. And we don't have an extra room for her. We have a guest room. So we just, her, she's in the guest room now with a crib. So it's kind of her space. Um, but after co-sleeping for so long, she wiggled all night long, even though she was asleep, she just moved and even breastfeeding was hard. And then she'd be awake at like one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning and would not sleep. And, you know, it, it took a toll. And I had friends who were like, oh, my baby sleeps seven to seven. And it was so easy to do. I let my baby cry for like 95 minutes. I'm like, 95 minutes? Like, how did you do that? But um, I, we decided there was just a time and it was coincidentally at the beginning of the quarantine, uh, the middle of March, I think, was when we decided to do the sleep training. Um, we purchased a sleep training course, I guess, which is taking care of babies. Um, and I follow her on Instagram and there's so many good testimonies about it. And I didn't have any friends who purchased her course that I could talk to, but just, you know, reading on Instagram, there's so much stuff out there. And then, um, I just, decided to just pull the trigger and pay for it. It was a little pricey, but, and then of course my husband's like, why do you want to pay for somebody to tell you how to sleep train your baby? And I'm like, I don't know. She obviously knows something. She knows magic something. So we did it and it was worth every penny. And I can't tell my friends enough about it because they're like, Oh, how's Molly sleeping? Oh, how's Molly sleeping? I'm like, great. She goes down seven o'clock with, I mean, the beginning of it was very rough, um, but we were prepared for that. And then now she sleeps 11 to 12 hours. We're very stuck on a routine. And some of my mom friends are like, see, I don't like if you change one thing, it makes them harder to go to bed. And I'm like, yeah, but once you get back into that routine, it's super easy. And it's been life changing for us just as a family. We can put Savannah to bed, we can put Molly to bed, and then we can actually sit on the couch and watch a TV show or, you know, have some. Yeah. How, how old was Molly? So that's your younger daughter. How old was she when you guys decided to do the course and the sleep training? Uh, she was mm, like back in March, nine, yeah. 10 months, nine and a half. 10 months. Yeah. So and, yeah. Cause she just, turned and did it, did that method involve some crying? Or obviously, like, um, Ferber? Was it, a, like, a Ferber style or no? Um, I think it's a Ferber style. Yeah. I don't, I'm not exactly sure what what the Ferber style yeah. is. But, um, yeah, crying at different intervals. 
I don't yes. really want to give away too much of of the course, but um, no, it's it's um, uh, yes, and and for anyone listening, this is not sponsoring any sort of. Uh, I have to I have to put a little disclaimer. This is not sponsoring any sort of courses, but a lot of the um, sleep training that is involved in many courses involves um, uh, intervals of crying. So it's not we're not going to get into the nitty gritty of the course, but I speak about the nitty gritties of how I approach sleep training, which I have a feeling might be similar um, in a different episode, but, but it has to do a lot with, um, you know, taking these intervals um, where they cry and then you go in at lengthening intervals and then you usually don't, um, you know, pick them up or anything usually, but I, again, there's different methods to do it. You're just there for reassurance. Um, but no, um, my, my other question is just on for both, for both the girls, did you ever face any judgment about co-sleeping and waiting too long? Did you face any judgment about buying a course? Like you said, your, your, even your partner said it, but did you face any judgment in general with your choices, with how you, um, you know, sleep, sleep trained or lack thereof of your children? Um, I did from some family members actually, and some friends who like, oh, I can't believe you're still co-sleeping or, um, and you know, sleep training, more so on the sleep training side with the cry it out method is how could you let your baby cry that long? Or why do you want to do it? You know, uh, there was judgment. Most of my friends are pretty understanding in, in both sides of the spectrum, but I just did a lot of research and talked to a few friends. Um, even my daughter's pediatrician just, is there any sort of long-term effects of doing any cry it out? And the, the common consensus is no. Um, even, you know, stuff that I read online and, you know, we just needed to do it. And the judgment yeah. was there, but at the same time, it's like whatever works for your family, whether it's today or tomorrow in a year, whatever helps. Absolutely. And this is, again, the purpose of this episode is because ta- I am clipping many different um, situations, right? Mothers who chose to do different things. And you're a prime example of a mother who chose one method for your older, you know, your older daughter, and then another method for your second daughter, which is really the important message of my whole sleep series in that you are not going to be able to do the same thing for every child. So if I have 10 patients in my office, they're all going to choose something different just because of the baby's temperament and also the parent's comfort. And even within the same family, twins, it could be completely different because every baby has a different temperament. Some babies can't do cry it out because just their temperament won't handle it. Some is like, please leave me. Like, I don't want any any intervention at all. So it's really fascinating to me. And I, I, I really appreciate you getting on to talk about this because it's important that anyone listening understands that we really should not be judging you know, each other for the choices that we make with our children's sleep, because I agree with you. Cry methods are not harmful. Co-sleeping isn't, is if a parent chooses to co-sleep, that's fine too. And you're just a prime example of an amazing mom who did both. So I, I really appreciate you being on today. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, um, like I said, our daughters are just complete opposite and just about everything from high chair to car seat, to eating, to sleeping, to the way they look. I mean, it's just, you know, and I guess, even going forward with my younger daughter, like, oh, well, Savannah did this and Molly should be doing this too. And it's like not even the same. So we've, even, even as parents, we've definitely adapted to the differences in them. But I also, in the big picture, think it's great because, you know, why do you want two kids who are exactly the same? 
And my one of my good friends was like, you're pretty much doing everything you you did with Savannah that you're doing with Molly, right? And I'm like, well, not really. Like, maybe the first couple weeks, because all they do is eat, sleep, poop, and cry. Like, uh-huh. you know, But they're completely different, and it's kind of fun. Most days it's fun. Other days it's like, why? Why are they so different? <laughs> yeah, and it keeps us on our toes. And I, I, you know, as a pediatrician, one of the biggest things is when I was in residency and um, in my, tri- my early on in my, in my practice as a, you know, once I left residency, I also was like, oh, it's always going to be Ferber because that's what we actually kind of learn most of is that it's the Ferber technique. Um, but then as I started to practice more, I was like, Ferber's not working for a lot of my patients. And some of my patients need either a gradual method or need something else because again, it, ha- it like you said, we're all just so different. So I completely agree with that. Is there like any, you already you already said such amazing, amazing tips for mothers listening, but is there any other final message that you would want to, you know, you have a platform here now that you would want to um, share with other mothers or fathers that are listening right now? Just whatever, do whatever's right for your family at the time. Um, It may not be right in a couple months or whatever's best for your family, not like right or wrong, but like whatever, you know, keeps you happy, keeps you sane, keeps you, you know, getting through that day. Cause you know, we're all going through some tough times right now. We've all hopefully adjusted to our new schedules, new normals, whatever verbiage we want to use. But I know, you know, during the quarantine time, because my husband wasn't working as much was a good time for us to establish strong schedules with our kids. And I guess that's one thing I could say is like, babies love schedules. I know you've preached that before on, on your Instagram and podcasts and stuff, but babies love schedules. I mean, I love schedule. I'm 30 years old. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but as far as sleeping, I know that Molly has done s- such, she's had such success with the sleep schedule, mainly night schedule. We're still working on naps, but, um, the night schedule is huge because we're all getting much needed sleep. Yeah. You know, and then talk to your partner about what their opinions are. If, if something, you know, is good or bad or what they think. Cause my husband and I definitely had a lot of conversations about purchasing sleep training. Like, why are we going to spend money on something when we can Google it or talk to our friends or just put her in the room and close the door and get her in the morning. But you know, definitely communicate with your partner and do what is best for your family at the time. Oh, Madison, I could not agree more. That is the perfect message. I really thank you so much for um, sharing your experience with the world. Um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So my last mom on the episode is Dominica, and she has a five-month-old, and she did a more uh, gradual method or gentler method than um, full on, you know, cry it out. And welcome, Dominica. Thank you for being here. Yes, my pleasure. Nice to meet you. So when did you decide that you wanted to do some sort of, you know, sleep training? How old was your son? He was about 12 weeks old um, when we decided to do something purposeful. Uh, we wanted, uh, before then, we were doing kind of letting him fall asleep nursing or taking his lead. Um, but around the 12 week time is when I kind of decided I need more sleep and uh, wanted to try some structure. And I felt that he was ready with being able to kind of self-soothe at that point. 
So what was the more purposeful things that you guys kind of incorporated around the 12-week mark? So one thing I tried first was the cry it out method. Um, I've seen it work. I do. I use it a lot for training parents in my field. And I was full on ready to do that. And my husband was on board. But um, we live in a one-bedroom condo. Um, and our neighbors are right, like share a wall to our bedroom. And so the crying just kind of wasn't feasible. Um, and then COVID happened and we moved in with my in-laws temporarily. And then there was just a lot more people um, that we had to get on board. So for me, it was just more of the instant gratification of if I just nursed him, I knew he would go back to sleep at night. Um, so the cry it out kind of, we tried it for two days, but realized it wasn't for us. Um, and then I kind of crowdsourced some recommendations from my friends who are new moms and um, some online Google searches and, and things like that and um, discovered uh, gentle weaning um, and decided, you know, that sounds like something that could be more what we could handle. Um, so we tried that at, we really started it at around 15, 16 weeks. Um, and you mentioned that you, um, what do you do for a living? Because you mentioned like in your field, you talk about crime methods with your families. What, what do you do? Um, I'm a board certified behavior analyst. So we Okay. Um, behavior therapy for mainly for kids with autism, but it applies across the board. Um, and so cried out or extinction, as we would call it, is is a big uh, principle that we use awesome. and see work effectively. So, yeah, well, well, so when you decided to do the different method, obviously, you know, deciding that it wasn't for you, what did that kind of look like? Uh, it was, you know, we still, you know, let him cry um, or kind of fuss. He didn't really like he wasn't screaming, crying, but uh, let him fuss for about five minutes, see if he would fall asleep on his own. Um, mainly at bedtime, he fell asleep fine and would sleep for five hours straight. And then after that, he would wake up every two hours. Uh, so that's where we kind of hit the pitfalls and where the training happened. So we would kind of let him try to fall back asleep on his own. If that didn't work, we would go over and give him a pacifier um, and hand on the chest. And if try that for three minutes, if that still wasn't working, We'd pick him up and rock him, and I would try my hardest not to nurse at that point, even though, like, I just wanted to go back to sleep. Um, and then usually by the second night, he would fall asleep by us rocking him with the pacifier. Um, and then when he did that, like, two or three times in one night, um, and by the second night, he was only waking up once, needed to be rocked, and then fell asleep and then slept until, like, 6 a.m., and so this, um, how many nights did that sort of plan kind of take? To see a change, it took only two nights because a big thing for was for me to realize that he didn't need to eat at night. Um, that was a big struggle for me to, to kind of be able to figure out, okay, is he crying because he's actually really hungry or like, is he fine and just needs to be rocked back to sleep? So seeing what made you realize that? Like what made you feel comfortable realizing that he did not need to eat? Uh, well, he was, he woke up crying at around midnight the first kind of night that we tried it. And um, with my husband's help, um, he really like, you know, was supportive and being like, okay, we said we weren't going to feed him. So like, try your best not to. Um, so he was crying and it was stressful. And then I just kind of held him and gave him a pacifier, rocked him back and forth. 
he calmed down, stopped crying. So I was like, okay, it's working. And then he was closed his eyes and then he was asleep. And I was like, okay, well, watch, I'll put him down and he'll wake back up. Um, but we put him down and he kept sleeping and he slept for five more hours that night. So the next day I was more inspired to, to keep it going. I see. So your method that you kind of came up with, right? Because you said that you kind of um, crowdsource friends and other, you know, obviously your other mom friends or wherever you did. So you kind of came up with this plan, um, like a, you, like you said, a mishmash of different things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, were you pretty strategic in the timings that you did every night? Like, did you choose that? Okay. So we'll do pacifier for, you know, three, like pacifier, if that gets knocked out, rocking will only be for a set number of time, or was it more like a, just a feeling that you had? It was more instinctual. I wish I could say it was mm-hmm. a bit more, you know, time-based, but it really was just more of I could feel that he was calming down and or and he was, you know, falling asleep. And it was more of like if he's not calming down, sometimes it would be 30 seconds and I would know, okay, he's actually hungry. Uh, other times it would be it, it would take it wasn't that hard of a cry and it would maybe take him three minutes, but he would fall back asleep and I know it was good so it kind of we still had it be more baby led Mm -hmm. you know a set time period and you know what you're talking about is so important and I am so happy that you're on this episode because it is it's kind of like how I imagine our parents dealt with our sleeping meaning there was no book there was no such thing as sleep training right I spoke about this earlier in the episode but you just kind of did it based on the baby's cues right and, exactly. and I, I think that's really awesome, right? Because you were like, look, I'm going to calm you down and it's not working or it is. And I'll just have, I'll just read you. And that is an amazing perspective because I think, you know, especially with your training and, you know, obviously um, your expertise, because um, cry methods can be successful, but sometimes they're not for us or for the child. And sometimes just reading the baby because you can do that. We do that with everything else with babies, right? Um, can be the success. So overall, you said how many, how many nights um, total? You said it was a couple nights that he started to get the, the picture of what was going on. Um, and how long ago was that, that you finally, that from where we're recording right now? Uh, it was probably about two weeks ago where we really hit a stride. Okay. Uh, however, he, he, once a month, he goes through like at least a two or three night growth spurt is what we think it is, where he actually does need to eat at night and he, cause he's a lot more during the day. Um, and then that happens for, you know, two nights and then like clockwork, he goes back to sleeping a lot better. Um, so it's been now, I would say two weeks of us falling into this pattern and, and being confident with it. Um, and another success that he's had, um, cause I want to give him credit is that he, um, now is able to fall asleep. He doesn't fall asleep nursing. He'll eat and I can put him down awake. And he can fall asleep by himself fine, Awesome. Uh, which I know is a big thing to tackle during sleep training. And that was kind of something he just naturally learned on his own. That's awesome. And did you, so you said that when you, you're living in like a one bedroom condo and you had other people, other people around a lot or living there besides your partner and you? No, just next door. Oh, so. next door. I see. Did you get um, any like judgment or negative feedback about the method you were choosing, whether it was the cry method or the um, method that you guys ended up having success with or no? No, unfortunately, we had just a lot of support. My husband was supportive with whatever method we, we tried to do. Um, I personally am not a very rigid or regimented person. So the struggle was more of trying to get myself more structured because um, I knew that that was what babies need um, to fall into their schedule. Um, 
and I was kind of my own worst enemies some nights where I was just getting frustrated of like, why isn't this working or why are you waking up? And, and also like hearing other, my other mom friends who were super helpful, some of them, their babies slept through the night at five weeks. And I would be like, oh my gosh, like that's possible. How come it's not happening for us? And um, there were times where we kind of let that frustration get in the way. Uh, but everyone else, I mean, we live with my in-laws, my mother-in-law was really supportive and helped talk us down of exactly what you said of back in the day, you know, there were no methods. We just went with it and it eventually happened. Um, and do you think that you're, you know, going on that sort of, you know, the, the, you know, the rigid and trying to be like, okay, this has to be patient with it. Do you think your career, like what you do for a living made you less flexible and like, okay, let's just stick with this. Or do, do you think that it really had no effect? Well, in my in my field, it really is what we preach to other parents is to be more structured and regimented. Yeah. Um, so it was a humbling experience to see it as a parent myself of, oh, I can see now why a lot of parents I worked with had a hard time following every instruction. Um, because even when I read different methods, I I tried like mom's on call or 12 hours by 12 weeks, all baby wise, all of that. I'm like, on paper, wow, sounds like an easy plan to follow. And then you would try it and something would inevitably come up that wasn't answered in the books because every child is so different. Um, so I think, though, all in all, my experience in, in the field and, and doing what I do helped me be more flexible because I had seen multiple different things work in the past. And uh, that helped to keep me going of, OK, we can switch course. If something's not working, it's not an effective intervention. So we have to try something that is going to be effective. And that's why I think this, you know, this whole sleep training discussion is so confusing for so many people. Um, you know, on my Instagram, like I know you're a follower, people are like, well, what do you think? Like, what's going on? Most of my patients in my office, they don't even, they're like, yeah, they're sleeping because they, they, they handled the cues, right? Like you said, they really read the baby. And I think a lot of the success comes in the first, if you set up good habits in the first 12 weeks right? Like it's actually, it can happen. You're not, you're not crying it out or sleep training a baby in the first 12 weeks, but it has a lot to do with like, um, a lot of the French philosophy of parenting, which is basically, um, allowing more pausing. And it's, it's something I believe in well as well, because I think it actually helped Ryan a lot. But that being said, I think it's really important for parents to understand that you kind of have to be flexible and you mm -hmm. kind of have to understand that it won't always be rigid to what method you choose. And I learned that also, you know, we, the, what I thought would be so not easy. Obviously I knew that hearing, I, we, we did choose a cry method and it did end up working for Ryan. Um, but it was extremely, it was a lot more difficult as a, you know, obviously as a mother to hear the crying, obviously, which I can understand now how people want to not do it. Right. Because I was literally would be crying. Like I was literally the first night I was like, Oh my God, I, I can't believe I'm going to admit, I can't believe I, I would make people do this. Like I yeah. said that I'm like, I can't believe I would even do that. Like I can see why people are so hesitant, but then obviously I stuck with it because I knew he could do it and it actually ended up working. But I can, that, that moment that you're like, should I do it? Should I not? And so I really mm -hmm. hope parents understand that if they are not comfortable, the baby's going to be fine. Like, I, I need to stress that, that the baby, whatever method you choose will be fine because I see them grow up amazing as long as you provide a loving home. But it's the parental choice also. Like, what do you, what makes you feel better with the situation, you know? And um, exactly yeah. What, what I kind of went through my inner monologue of, okay, stick through this, be structured, he can do it. 
but then it was a matter of wait but can I do it and yeah. do I want to do it? is there a reason that I'm doing this over something else yeah um, if something else can work for us and and be better and and luckily that worked out for us and what would you say? I mean, this is obviously the reason I'm happy this episode's happening is every mother has given me such such great like tips and motivation. What would be your final message to you know anyone listening in regards to how they should approach sleep in general? Um, I would have two things to say. One is don't you know get caught up in being set in your way of if you're going to go through one method, it's okay to switch um, if you feel like it's not going the way you wanted to or or you're just not comfortable with it. And then the second would be, like you said, is the pause uh, is really helpful and effective, not only in, you know, reading your baby's cues, but also pausing in the moment. And even if you're up at 5 a.m. and you're frustrated because you're up for the third time, knowing that, you know, breathe the baby in, hold his tiny hand and remember that it's a fleeting moment. It's going to pass and you're going to miss it when it's gone. So that helped me get through a lot of nights. And I know a lot of mothers can agree with that. Thank you to all the amazing mothers who were on this episode today. I know it was a little bit longer of an episode that you guys are used to, but it was so important for me to get their message out in terms of how they approach sleeping with their child. And it's just really important for us to hear that, that there are so many methods out there. And in the end, as you heard, all of these mothers chose a method that was best for them, best for their child, and they all raised amazing, amazing children. So definitely hope this was helpful. As always, if you did find it helpful, leave a review, share it with a friend, and make sure you listen to episodes 17, 18, and 19, which is the other three episodes part of the sleep series. Thank you. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.